Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, man, I don't know when the last time it was that I was this excited to do the Anik and Florian Podcast. Uh, maybe last week I was excited for, for Flo's UFC 225 picks, but I am happy to be here today, Monday. June 11th, 2018, 159, Anik and Florian podcast. The Florida sky is doing some really fucked up things today. <laughs> What's so, going on? It's, I've just never seen a, a state or a sky do the things that this Florida sky does. So right now the Wi-Fi is working. I don't know. Okay. It's just a lot of lightning and thunder and Ooh. noise. It shakes your property. So yeah. I'm hopeful that we're going to get through this show without any technical difficulties. I didn't see a minute of the post-fight show except for that Bisping Covington interview. So <laughs> I don't know how you feel about a lot of these fights. Sure. Let's get into that it. That makes me excited. I'm just going to tilt my headroom there. And that video is good, guys. So, yeah, I don't know what you feel about these fights. I- I've been dying to ask you about CM Punk and Mike Jackson. Mm-hmm which was an interesting fight to call, to say the least. And how about the quote from Dana White on Mike Jackson? I don't know what that guy did for a living before we gave him the shot, but whatever it was, he needs to go back and do that again. I mean, that is there's a lot of comedic value in that line, and say what you want about the fight, which we will get to. But that is really funny out of the promoter, as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) right after the fact. And Dane, of course, went on to say he's 0-2 as far as I'm concerned. But a lot to get into there, obviously, when it comes to UFC 225. And we're going to talk to Ray Longo off the top of the show. He's got a lot of thoughts on this as well. Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker just turned in the fight of the year. Unbelievable. Ken Flo's really excited about Whitaker and I think his future, right? The fact that you spoke to me off the air today, right? And just the way history is going to perceive this effort and this toughness. So I know you're excited to talk about Robert Whitaker today, and uh, I'm told we have Ray Longo. So uh, let's get to the New Yorker. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. I had to tell Chris Weidman, Ken Flo, when I was in Chicago, that Weidman was trying to steal his thunder last week. I, I, I didn't know. understand. We gave Ray Longo his minute, right, his segment, and then we had Chris Weidman on thereafter, and Ray kept walking back into the shop. Yeah. Like, just, wanted more than his 15 minutes. It's crazy. You know? I mean, we've already extended his minute, and now he's just I mean, we he's, have he's a superstar. This is what happens when you become a superstar. You just you I know. Know, I know. skewed reality. Well, I know we're going to talk to him about Whitaker and Romero, but when he sends me a text message during a show, that's usually what I lead with. And he sent me a text message soon after the CM Punk Mike Jackson fight. So we're going to start there with the great Raymond Peter Longo. Ray, how's your day, kid? Oh, man. Starting out good. Starting out good. I'm sure (laughs) it's going to go 
right down Negative Street in about 20 <laughs> seconds. But right now, it's all good, Kenny. All good. Uh, all right, well, look in the camera because we can only see half your face right now. So pick up that camera. We want to see it all, Ray. Please. There you go. You're killing the audio only listeners, Ray. So uh, how are you? Good weekend. Did you enjoy UFC 225 like the rest of us, bud? No, I, I, I did enjoy it. So it was great fights. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, the, the last fight I thought just was a great fight. I don't even want to say much about it. I, I, I don't know. I think I'm in the minority a little bit. But I think the only thing uh, missing from the night was the Ashton Kusher coming out of the stands and telling us we've been punked. But besides that, Kenny... <laughs> It was a good night. No, that was actually uh. more. That, that was actually mortifying, and and it seems like the common denominator is to see him. Punk's a great dude, and uh, I just wish him. I don't know. I wish him the best. But that that was tough to watch, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. But I think he he should thank Yoel Romero and Whitaker because I think if that fight would have been bad, everybody would have been talking about his fight, and because that yeah. fight was such a great fight. Everybody already forgot about the first fight, which is, I think, a good, which I think is a really good thing. Yeah, no, I, I wish I could omit a lot of it from memory, and we're going to spend most of the show on Whitaker and Romero. But in terms of the Mike Jackson CM Punk fight, it just seemed to me that despite a lot of hard work, uh, that ultimately there's only so much you can do to close that gap. And I'm not talking about Mike Jackson, the opponent. We can get into him and and how deserving or not he was, but for CM Punk maybe not enough of a, of a naturally or, or good enough athlete to to close that gap with any sort of speed or skill or, you know, I mean, there are a few things he can do. We mentioned on the broadcast has a good body lock and a clinch, but a lot of these guys, when they pick up MMA, some of the athletic gifts take over, and it seemed to a lot of us that there weren't a lot of those for CM Punk. Look, M- MMA is, is not a joke. You have talented guys coming in that struggle to make it, and they go through a little bit of a farm system, most of them, they fight amateur first, and there's a reason for that. You know, you want to get all of those fights out of your system, make the corrections, so by the time you get called to the big show, you know, you're in a better place. I mean, they, I have to believe they really thought he was going to beat Mike Jackson. It looks like they did a great job in finding a guy that, you know, had no wrestling, had no jujitsu. Uh, supposedly was a boxer, but they must have thought he was going to win that fight. And I think when that didn't happen, they all started to short circuit. And it was kind of it was kind of rough, man. I mean, you know, I think being a fighter in the UFC and you help grow the sport to watch a guy just go on pay-per-view. I don't even like again, I don't even think it's fair to see him punk. I don't know why he would want to do that, you know, but I get the business. I get, you know, putting eyeballs on the screen, but. Uh, there's got to be a point where it's just not worth it, you know, and I would have loved to have seen him groomed with some amateur fights like everybody else. I think it would have been a, a really a much better thing for him to grow on the job in those fights. There's a reason why you do that and then take a step up. But to just jump into one of the toughest sports, if not the toughest sport in the world, without a pedigree, you know, it's not Brock uh, Lesnar who was a uh, NCAA Division One wrestling champ or whatever, he's nothing. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I own a gym, so I, I, yeah. you know, on, a, on a daily basis, I hear guys coming in who had 45 million street fights and they never lost. <laughs> they, they never played a sport in high that school. That guy. Didn't rest. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, those guys, believe, they are alive and well, Kenny. And <laughs> I'm are. sure you're going you're gonna to come across a couple, you know, in, yes. in, uh, 
at your jujitsu school. I never but, fought in the cage. I was more of a street fighter myself yeah, right. where I was undefeated. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, there you go. You yeah. know, so, man, it just doesn't work like that. These are athletes, and these are guys that <clears throat> normally come in with some sort of pedigree. And, man, that would, I don't know. I just, right. uh, I think he, if he had it all over, the, I think even he would probably want to just give me a couple amateur fights. Let's see where we're at. But, you know. I, you know, I don't know. Ray, do you think this is kind of like, I kind of see this as almost a good thing in a way because this was an experiment, and like you said, uh, with a guy who didn't have any combat sports experience. He, CM Punk was not a wrestler. He was not a boxer, a kickboxer, or whatever it was. Um, and the UFC put this fight together. It was not a good fight. I mean, for me, I, I feel like this is not a good sign for anyone else without a combat sports experience. Uh, background who wants to fight in the ufc one day now i just don't see that happening now we, we tried this experiment it didn't go well is that right. the way you see it but i just think you know you know i just think man, put that thing on fight pass yeah. throw that platform with the with the numbers you know what i mean like hmm. there are guys that really want to fight they really want to get paid they put on the show and i think it just sent a bad message to all the guys that are trying at a time when we need really you know integrity and quality in the sport where you're making great matches and we're bringing back the fan base i mm -hmm. just i don't get it you know what i mean unless you want to go to like a total entertainment model and start grabbing guys and making these type of fights that's a different story but you know i've been in this thing a long time and uh you know that was almost like going back to ufc3 you know what i mean you just take anybody and you see how they do and I think I could beat this guy and that, and that that was it. And I'm sure this guy worked his ass off. I mean, Duke's a great coach. I think it has nothing to do with that. Uh, it's just, man, I don't know. You're jumping in. Like, if you've never played baseball, right, and you think you're going to train for a year and then go up against a major league pitcher, I mean, I just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't think yeah. it works like that. These guys are playing baseball since they're 10 years old. You know, it's just ingrained in them. So I don't even think it was fair to him, but, you know, whatever. I mean, I, like, again, the common denominator seems to be he's a great dude, which I'm sure he is. And I think that's why, you know, he kind of gets a pass on a lot of things. Ray, we had it, we had another uh, controversial weigh-in with Yo Romero not making weight. Um, first of all, what did you think about that? And, and do you think the later weigh-ins is something that's going to solve this issue going forward? No, I don't think anything will solve the issue with uh, with the weight thing, to be honest with you. The only thing that will solve it is if you miss weight, you're not fighting. I think at this point, we discussed it already. It's not a monetary thing. I don't think it's at any time of the day they're going to they're gonna find a way to try to, you know, do whatever is best for their advantage. But, I, you know, look, when I'm bitching about the weight thing, I'm like three, four pounds, eight pounds. You know, that just shows that you didn't even try this guy looks like he came close, so I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like bashing him on that, but there's a guy that's an Olympic caliber wrestler. I, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? He knows how to make weight, to miss two times in a row, and to have this happen, and to put a blemish on what was a fucking great fight, man. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, but again, nobody's going to talk about the weight loss. We said this with uh, with Till and uh, Wonderboy. It's a fight by... by by tomorrow, that'll be gone. It'll be that you know, Roel, you know, Romero got robbed. You know, not nothing to do with the weight loss. So whatever, it is what it is. Uh, it was a great fight though for both guys. Man, they showed they really wanted to be there. Durability, both of them resilience. I, I I can't say a bad word about the fight. It was it was fantastic. And 
I don't know, really good stuff. Certainly a front runner or in that conversation with probably any number of Justin Gaethje fights for the fight of the year in 2018, but a round of the year in there as well. And just next level toughness out of both guys and Whitaker in particular. But unlike Darren Till, though, I guess, Ray, it, it will have some residue because there were not championship stakes. So for Yoel Romero, this is the type of performance, even though the judges didn't see it for him, that could propel him into what Dana White talked about before the fight, a number one contender type fight at 205 pounds against somebody like Alexander Gustafson. Now, he's relinquishing size there, but do you think this result, first fighter in UFC history to miss weight for two UFC title fights, will force him to move up to the light heavyweight division? Uh, I don't think it'll force him to move up, but I think you know what fight I would love to see? Yoel Romero against DC. I would love to see that fight. They're both yeah. kind of like the same size. They're both stocky guys. They both have a great wrestling pedigree. I think that's a fantastic fight at 205. I yeah. think that would be a really entertaining fight. I'd love to see what happens in that fight. And if, if Daniel loses to Stipe Miocic in four weeks, then that could certainly become a reality. And Yoel's 41 years old. I mean, just incredible. I, and I think the cut man deserves credit here too, Ray. Rudy Hernandez, I believe, was the cut man on Yoel Romero because, you know, there are varying degrees of, of levels to these cut men, right? And the fact that he was yes. able to do the get the swelling, nip it in the bud very quickly, I thought helped yeah. Yoel stay in the fight and produce that type of rally. But, man, this yeah, sport, great, right? Really it's great, like, great, point, great point, though, John, because I thought that I was going to close in whatever round that happened, and it came out. After that, after his minute in the corner, it looked like he was going to be fine, that he yeah. could see out of it, which was phenomenal. So I, I think you're bringing up something I haven't heard yet, but that's a great point. And Rudy, obviously, has been around the boxing game. He's, he's got a lot of knowledge. So he did a I, – I, I agree with you 100%. He kept him in that fight, and, man, did that pay off. For sure. And sometimes, too, and I was talking to Ken Flo, our friend Scotty Ream, earlier today just about cut men and how – Sometimes there's preventative measures that they have to ask the coach to allow them to do, and they're not always afforded the opportunity to try to deal with some swelling, even though there isn't a cut yet, to try to prevent a cut going forward. So I thought that was something worth bringing up. All right, before we let you go, my man, Colby Covington, Rafael Dos Anjos. I was blown away by, by Colby's performance and, and, and the fact that he is able to keep up this pressure style over 25 minutes. Uh, your thoughts on the new uh, UFC interim welterweight champion? I got to say, I picked uh, Dos Anjos. Uh, but, man, that, that relentless aggression and the ability to endure punishment going forward was phenomenal. And he he deserved that win. Uh, a lot of guys are saying that was closer than I thought. But uh, I thought Kobe did a great job in taking whatever Dos Anjos had. And he just kept grinding it out, grinding it out, grinding it out. And he looked like a guy that refused to lose. And he was going to get what he wanted. And, uh Hats off to him. Bit of you know, a little wacky, but he did he did get the job yeah. done, and I I didn't think he could he could do it like that. So I think he's uh, he now goes to being a little bit of a problem for some of the one seventies, especially if you don't have a gas tank, you're in trouble with him. And right. and that that's the way I would like to see Gaethje fight. You know what I mean? Like if he was fighting, mixing the takedowns, you yeah. got great strikes. You know what I yeah. mean? His you know what I'm saying? Like it looks like he's got the cardio to do that. Uh, but Covington did it, man. I don't, I think his stand-up's, you know, not where it should be. But, man, he makes up for it. He looks like he's got a great chin. And his forward pressure is phenomenal, man. He just – he didn't stop. And that was uh, – I think that was the, the story of the fight. All right, man, anything else before we let you fly? 
Kenny, what do we got? I don't know. Anything? I mean, I could spend the entire show with you on this 225 business, you know, but, uh, I mean, how about Curtis yeah. Blades elbowing yeah. Alistair Overeem's face through the canvas? Huh? Oh, man, no, Blades, that was another good friend. No, Blades is, Oof. he's another, Brutal. he's looking good, too. But before we go, you guys got any songs you'd like me to sing next week or anything? <laughs> oh, what do we got? Right. What do you got, Kenny? Give me a song. What do you Challenge. got? No, no, well, whatever, Kenny, what, what, Ray what sent like? me a video. Yeah. Ray sent me a video of him playing the guitar. I didn't see it yet. Oh, see, so that's it. I'm going right. to have to get that to you right I, away. I am gonna, I'm going uh, to do some planning here. I, I, can you play it on air for us or, or what? Yeah, next uh, week. Maybe. I mean, we got to see what it is. All I right, mean, I really right. technically don't play the guitar, so I'd have to work on it. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. Annick, send me that video. Come yeah, on, so, Annick. What do you want to hear? What do you guys? I, from I want you to text Ken Flo. This is Ken Flo's show prep for next week. You're going to text him the video, and okay. he's going to give you a song to play, and you're going to break out the guitar next week on the Anakin Florian podcast. It's done. <laughs> I it's like done. it, man. We got to get eyeballs on this thing. Let's go. <laughs> ah, right. I think we got Max Holloway next week, but they're turning in for Ray uh, Longo on the, on the guitar. There we go. I might break out a ukulele. I'll talk, <laughs> to, I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Ray. Thank Take you, buddy. Easy. Bye-bye. Haircut before next week, too, for uh, for Ray Longo. <laughs> so let's reset this main cod kid. Robert Whitaker, Yoel Romero, split decision for Whitaker. That was not necessarily the score I expected. I think we were talking octagon side that we might be looking at a draw. Uh, your overall thoughts on a tremendous fight, an amazing showcase for mixed martial arts, and why this sport remains better than, than any that I've seen. For sure, I've said this many times. Some guys are just made to fight each other, and Yo Romero and Robert Whitaker are those two men. I think they're just tailor made for each other to deliver exciting fights every single time out. Um, what's amazing is you get a kid from New Zealand, and Robert Whitaker trains in Australia. That's a country that is not really well known for its wrestling skills. Whitaker's going up against one of the best wrestlers we have ever seen compete inside the octagon um and he's able to stuff these takedowns one after another um he's able to get back to his feet if he needs to um and then we have romero one of the best wrestlers of course uh, as we were talking about who can strike with anybody in that division has tremendous power tremendous speed uh mixes up his strikes and these guys just went back and forth and it was almost uh, a a redo of the first fight in reverse with Romero right. kind of coming back strong late in the fight. Now, um, as far as the score, I think they had the the rounds right, right? They had it right. three rounds uh, for Whitaker to two rounds to Romero. I thought they had it right. The problem with that is I think in that fifth round, I had Romero uh, 10-8 in that round. Um, right. He had hurt him twice. He had him dropped. Uh, he almost finished that fight. Uh, once or if not twice in that fifth round, I thought it probably should have been a 10-8. It would have been a draw. I would not have had a problem with that. Um, and uh, it was just a fantastic fight. Whitaker again dealing with an injury, fighting with uh, what what we think is a, is a broken hand. Did you see the x-ray? No, I did not. Because his thumb's like in two pieces. Yeah. So. See, so there. It's broken, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, this guy's toughness. This is going to be one of those fights, again, if it wasn't in the first fight against Romero, one of those fights that comes to define Robert Whitaker as a fighter. And, and I don't know if we truly appreciate just how damn good this guy is. Um, right. His humility, uh, his ability to perform under tremendous pressure. 
the fact that what he's still in his mid twenties is just insane that that he's able to do this here uh, against a tremendous fighter and Yo Romero in this fashion. Um, so I, I was just blown away. Uh, Robert Whitaker will will become a legend in this sport, no doubt about it, man. Well, and that was the word I used when I was able to peek my head into the ambulance. I just said, man, are you an absolute legend? And Kenny, when we called his UFC debut when he won Tough Smashes in 2012, we knew he was special. Maybe yes. we didn't know he would be this special. But for a long time, most people felt like this was going to be the first Australian to break through, as I sort of said at the outset of the pay-per-view. And man, did he break through. And you're right, he's only 27 years old. And, you know, this is a jiu based fighter. He's become a special striker, right? But he is a dedicated jiu-jitsu player, and it was brought to my attention actually after the broadcast that he made the Australian national freestyle wrestling team in his spare time. So this is a five-tool player. This is a, a mentally strong fighter who rises to the occasion. I mean, tough as anything, goes for the finish. We always trot back that quote, no better place to break your hand than inside the octagon, and I think that's going to be something he's going to have to deal with, Kenny, that he... Yeah. He fights to finish, and his hands are breaking often, right, inside the octagon. This is not just the first time that it has happened, and and because he throws to try to get you out of there. I also think that a fight like this is something that helps you accrue MMA miles maybe quicker than you would like to. Um, But I agree with you, man. I mean, if one fight can put you in the UFC Hall of Fame, I mean, I know he's just getting started, but uh, I'm excited to see where he can go. And don't you sort of think that the result is less consequential because of the Romero weight miss, right? I mean, well, it should, and that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, you know, the fact that they have this result go down the way that it did, uh, you know, Romero didn't make weight at the end of the day. Not, Not that that's how you judge a fight, but as far as the way it all worked out, it did work out for the best in the end. Um, but I did think that was a 10-8 round in, in the fifth. Um, but I, I could watch these guys fight every couple months. I, I mean, right. and I think they would deliver exactly like that every single time. Um, it, it was a fantastic fight. Again, this is one of these legendary fights we will remember for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and, again, Whitaker is, is definitely something special, man. The way that he adjusted uh, to that lead leg attack from Romero, I knew he had to yeah. come up with some kind of solution because if I'm Yo Romero, I'm going right back to the well on that lead leg. I'm going to attack that knee again. Uh, yeah. Romero tried to. Whitaker was able to adjust. It actually was attacking his knee uh, yep. and I think injured it several times during that fight. So uh, just brilliant stuff from Whitaker and his ability to adapt, evolve, and, and improve as a fighter. Just loved it. And by the way, he was 189 pounds on Tuesday, as Rogan said on the broadcast, right? Wow. So he's fighting at his natural weight, and, and that, I think, allows him to do, to do that. And, and you can be sure that if this was a welterweight fight and Whitaker, well, I, I shouldn't speak in such absolutes, but I feel pretty convicted in saying if this was a welterweight fight and Robert Whitaker had some nasty weight cut, that he probably doesn't survive. I don't even know how he survived and didn't get finished this night by Yoel Romero, given some mm-hmm. of the shots he took. So, you know, fighting at your natural weight maybe helps brain rehydration and maybe helps you survive some of that damage. But I think some time off is in order for Robert Whitaker. I know that's probably not what he's looking for because he just had a year off. But as we spin it forward, maybe it's the year-end show for Whitaker. Maybe there's a late-year Australia show. Um, but I don't know if that would even be a pay-per-view if they went down there again. So mm-hmm. for Whitaker, forgetting about the timeline, 
Who is next? I mean, I, I feel like the strongest argument certainly can be made made for Kelvin Gastelum. Yeah. He was the name that was on standby. Is that the next UFC middleweight championship fight? I think that's the fight that makes sense right now. I, I think with all the guys that are out there and what we've had for, for the, the past few results in that division amongst the elite, I think Kelvin Gastelum deserves that next shot. I, I think, yeah. um, you know, I think it's an interesting fight, number one. Um, and I think right now he's the guy at the top uh, who has, yeah. you know, uh, most of the consistency in that division. And, and yeah. you look at the guys that he's beaten, um, it's a fantastic fight. And I think Kelvin uh, deserves it most right now. And when you look at the middleweight top five, in a lot of respects, it's hard to make an argument for someone else. I, I will do it, though. And I talked about Chris Wyman last week when he was on the program. Mm -hmm. He does have the head-to-head -head win and finish of Gastelum in his last fight. Yep. But since that fight, right, Gastelum has two wins, a finish of Michael Bisping, um, and then the decision win over Jacques de Souza. So I think Gastelum is really hard to deny. As far as Yoel Romero in this equation, Ken Flo, I just think it's hard with the two weight misses and the two head-to-head -head losses to Robert Whitaker to make an argument for Romero. So in that in that respect, the decision is consequential, right? Because if this yeah. was 1-1 one, one now or even a draw, maybe Dana White would relent. But when you couple the judges' scorecards with the two weight misses, it would seem to me that this conversation really comes down to Gastelum and, and then an, an outside shot for Chris Weidman, maybe. Listen, the UFC and the fans, they, they want a fighter who's going to step on the scale, make weight, and make that championship fight happen. And if you're that guy who's not able to do that, not once, but twice in a row for a belt, you, you're, just, you're just not going to be reliable for the organization. So um, it was a huge mistake for Romero, um, a tremendous miscalculation by their team. Um, you, have, you have to be on it. Again, if you're not getting up and making weight for a championship fight, then what fight are you going to make weight for? Right. What fight are you right. going to be up for? Right. What fight are you going to be a professional for? Sure. Well, the biggest winner of the night was the man who left with a new gold belt, Colby Covington. And to that end, as we continue with our 225 recap, now with us on the guest line, the owner and founder of American Top Team, a man who this past Saturday night saw one of his prized recruits win a UFC championship. Dan Lambert is with us. Dan, John and Kenny here, man. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm good. How are you? You're doing well. So you said prior to the fight, Dan, that the hardest thing to do in pro sports, and I think Kenny and I largely agree, is to develop an MMA fighter homegrown from the beginning and turn him into a UFC champion. And that's what you guys have done here. I know there have been a lot of big wins for you, but I got to think this one is as satisfying as any individual win in your career. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fair. It's, it's, it's really a, a daunting task to I mean, I don't think people realize how many athletes you need to have go through your gym just to get somebody that's good enough to make it to the UFC. And then how many of those guys you need to go through to get someone who's good enough to be successful in the UFC. And how many of those you have to go through to get somebody who's successful enough to be in a title fight in the UFC. And then how many of those it takes to actually win that belt. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy task. And to see somebody come from, you know, cradle to champion, it's, it's pretty satisfying. So when I spoke to Colby on Thursday, he said one of his biggest motivations to win the title was to, to do it for you and to, to sort of give you that and prove your faith right in him. I don't know if you know this, but right after the fight, um, both Colby Covington and Mike Brown at separate times went over to the Octagon to try to find you where they knew you were sitting and you were nowhere to be found. I don't know if they brought that up with you after the fact, but they did both go to tr go try to find you right after the fight. 
Oh, that's cool. No, I was actually over uh, by the door waiting to greet those guys and congratulate them. And uh, that's nice of Colby to say that was a, a big motivation for him. I think he probably was more excited about the opportunity to get a mic and talk some more shit than that. But I'll <laughs> Dan, Dan, so here we have Tyron Woodley, who has obviously been representing you guys as well. How do you approach this? And I'm sure you, you must have saw this coming. Um, it, it does get tricky. You guys are a world-class facility where a lot of fighters want to be. Um, I imagine, you know, this isn't going to be the first, this isn't the first time. This is not going to be the second time. Uh, how do you approach this as, you know, someone who runs ATT here with two, two of your guys, essentially, um, going at it for a belt? Well, I mean, on the one hand, you, you got to sit there and be pretty, pretty happy to see two guys that you've been with for a long time, climb that mountain and be so successful and mm. win fights and win championships and, get pay-per-view bonuses and be in a position to fight in big fights for titles. So that, that's, you know, that's, that's great. It's, it's very gratifying. I'm happy for those guys and their families. Um, but on the other hand, it, it really sucks. Mm. I mean, this is, this is not major league baseball where they're going to go play against each other on Sunday afternoon right. and then hop on a plane and fly to the next town. And it's just another regular season game on Monday. These guys are getting into a cage and they're going to try to hurt each other. And at the end of that fight, you know, somebody's the undisputed champ and they're going on to bigger and better things and bigger paydays. And, you know, the other guy's going back to the, you know, to the to, to fight his way up the ladder again. And he's going back to that base non-title fight compensation clause in his contract. And it's, it's going to be a devastating night for one of them. So, you know, normal title fights, you, your guy's going to win or your guy's going to lose. So, you know, you're going to go home happy or sad. And in this one, you know, you know you're going to go home sad for somebody. So, I mean, it's, there's good and bad. I mean, it is what it is. How have you guys adjusted as a team for the, for this eventuality? Because I, I know that you guys have changed things a little bit, right? And and how you guys do your training sessions is that correct? Well, I mean, if if, if there's a wrinkle to this, and that's that 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 T would has his own gym in St. Right. Louis, his own ATT gym that he does his daily training, and and then and then when it comes time for fight camps, he does the majority of his camps and the majority of the time in those camps up with Duke in mm -hmm. Milwaukee, and and Duke Rufus has a a really good gym with a. A ridiculous win percentage if you ever track those numbers in the UFC it's kind of astounding so he does come down from time to time he does parts of camps down at, at our headquarter facility like for the Maya fight he came down for a couple of weeks because we had a lot of high-level jiu-jitsu guys that could that could mirror that game mm. um, and if NFT would call me and we and Dean Thomas is runs his camps who's one of yeah. our coaches at the daily fixture at our gym even though he goes up to Dukes to, to work with T Wood. so I mean if, if he called me tomorrow, if Dean came up tomorrow and said, hey, T-Wood wants to come down and do part of his camp or even a full camp down at the headquarter facility, I mean, his belt is in our trophy case and his picture is up on our wall and our doors are always open to him. And if that were the case, you know, they wouldn't be training next to each other. You know, we've, <laughs> yeah. we've, got a, we've, we've got a big gym and we've got different areas in the gym and there's different times of the day and different training partners that, he could, that they could each work with. I don't know what their plan is to do. That's going to be up to them, not mm -hmm. up to us. But if, if, that's, if they want to be down here for part of it, I mean, I'm, there's no, not a chance in the world I'm saying no to that guy. That's pretty cool. Dan Lambert with us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. So as far as Colby Covington, the fighter, is concerned, nonstop pressure, wrestling, outstanding cardio, great shin, um, seems to raise his game for the moment, which might be his most special attribute. I mean, when you break down the fighter, what do you think it is that has allowed him to, to realize a UFC title at, you know, 27, 28 years old? I mean, it, it's actually interesting that you say that he raises his game at the time. You know, when he first came down here and he had never fought before and he was down with us maybe for a year or so before we got him some fights. And, 
you know, he got into the UFC relatively quickly. I mean, I, I don't know how many fights he had at the time. It may have been four or five. And I didn't think he was ready. Um, he was bugging me. He's always wanted the big fights. I and mean, from the day he got here, I, I want to fight in the bigger shows. I don't want these smaller fights. I'm like, dude, you know, the first time you get punched in the face, you want it to be in a smaller show, you know. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's get you some experience. And, and he actually pushed me a few times about getting to shows, and I told him, no, I, I don't think you're ready. You need more fights. And he ended up getting into the UFC through somebody else when the Macau show popped up and they needed somebody to fight a local guy that didn't have very many fights and they didn't want to bring some killer in who had, you know, a 15 and one record or something along those lines. So they brought Colby in and, and I, I wasn't happy about it. Um, I went wow. to that show. I, I went to that show. I actually went with, with, with T T Wood fought, um, stun gun. Dun Young Kim. The, yeah. The, right. Yep. On the, on the co-main. Co yeah. I was going over there with T Wood to be with him for that fight. And I think I cornered him in the fight and, you know, Colby happened to be there and I was watching his fight. I think I cornered Colby as well and walked out, with him there and I remember saying to myself this is too much for this young kid and he went out there and he looked better than he ever had and I'm thinking well you know what maybe it took a big show or a bigger stage to get this guy to step up his game because he looked better than he had on the local shows against lesser talent so yeah that, that's a part of it that's a, that's a good observation on your part but I mean the guy's just I mean he's got a third lung he, he, he's got a motor the pace in that fight was was really cool to see up close and you know hats off to RDA man that guy's got a motor that doesn't quit on, on his side too but, uh, yeah. I mean, he, he talks the talk. and He definitely talks the talk. But, man, he walks it, too. So, you know, hats off to him. He certainly does. And he's 30 years old. I stand corrected. And it was cool to see your reaction when the scorecards were being announced. And once you heard that 49-46, you knew it was Colby's. Because if there was going to be a 4-1, you knew it was with your guy. Uh, a couple things on the way out. So, in the mid-'90s, you had a grappling team that sort of evolved into an MMA team. You officially coined it American Top Team in 2001. So, have you exceeded most of your initial goals and expectations? I mean, you've created arguably the, the greatest mixed martial arts team of all time. That wasn't necessarily your, your goal at the outset. No, we, we were kind of just like a boys club. You know, we were we traveled and we went to, to jujitsu competitions and we competed and it was just for fun. And, you know, a couple of the guys were like, hey, man, I want to fight. And, you know, there weren't very many shows back there at the time and they, they were small and we went and it was fun. And, then, you know, three guys fighting turned into six and six turned into 12. And, you know, I, I, I never expected the sport to get to where it got. I mean, I, I, I loved it and I liked it, but it didn't have a big audience and it didn't have it didn't have the means to get out to the masses, you know, back at the time. And it's, it's just mind boggling to me. I think back to shows where, you know, we used to put on our own shows because there was no place for our guys to fight. And we'd be in the locker room the day of the show taking a, a, a hand count on who, how the rules were going to be. You know, how many who wants <laughs> kicks to the head legal when you're on the ground? You know, raise your hand. And that, that's how we're picking <laughs> rules for these fights. And to see where it's come. I mean, it's just it's absolutely mind boggling. And I'm, you know, thankful to have a pretty good ride, a good seat on a, on a hell of a ride. I would say so. All right, last thing. I know you are a lifelong pro wrestling fan. I did see the tremendous promo you recently cut for Impact Wrestling. Did you then have a wrestling appearance for them, or did I did I read that wrong? Uh, actually, we were we were on TV with them for about a six or seven month period. It was it was a total of like three TV tapings that we did. They 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 get a bunch of shows in the can at one time. Okay. So yeah, we 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 were with them for quite a while. It was a uh, it was pretty fun. We had a we had a, we had a blast. 
Well, it sounds like you're living the dream in a lot of respects, man. Dan Lambert, American top team owner and founder. Congrats, man, on a big win for the team for Colby Covington. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week, and we appreciate your, your time and your insights today, I, my man. I appreciate that. And if I could say one thing, I was, I was listening to you guys when I was on hold, and, and I know there's been some talk about the whole Romero weight miss, and I fully understand how people get upset when guys make weight and miss weight, and I think it's you know 99.999% of the time it's the fighter's fault. But there was a, certainly a different set of circumstances in this, and I don't know if the story's gotten mm-hmm. out. And if you give me two minutes, I'll tell you what happened. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. In the room. You know, the, the rules of the commission state, you know, between 9 and 11, you've got to make weight. If in every commission's different, in this commission, it was if you were less than three pounds overweight and you're deemed medically fit to continue cutting weight, they will give you two more hours. And those are the rules, and the mm-hmm. rules are the rules. And in that regard, it doesn't matter if you make weight at 9.01 or if you make weight at 12.55 during the extra period if you're deemed fit to have it. UL showed up. He was a pound over. They gave him the two hours. They took 20 minutes doing his medicals to see if he was fit to continue cutting. They said he was fine. We went up to his room. We had an hour and a half left. There were three doctors present, two from the commission, one from the UFC, and they said he was fine. We said, man, an hour and a half? Cool. Take the first half hour and just relax. You just mm-hmm. walk downstairs. You're a little lightheaded. You know, I mean, the weight, cutting weight isn't the easiest thing in the world. I'm sure Kenny can attest to. Mm-hmm. So he chilled out for a half an hour. The doctors were taking his vitals. His blood pressure was lower than probably 90% of the people in the room. His vitals were fine. The doctors were laughing. He goes to get in his bath with an hour left. We're going to put him in the bath for 10 minutes. Then we're going to put him in our towels for 10 minutes, and he's going to be fine. Four minutes into the bath, a phone call comes from 10 floors down from a commissioner who wasn't there, who said, hey, he's got to come down right now. We're cutting off the time. He needs to come weigh in right now. Jeez. Our point was, what are you talking about? They said, we had two hours. We got 55 minutes left. Sorry, guys. She's our boss. This is above our pay grade. Get out of the tub right now or the fight is off. He gets out of the tub. We go downstairs. Of course, we stall for time. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to do this. But that stalling for time isn't cutting weight. It's not being in the tub. It's not being under wraps. It's sitting down in the air condition of the, of the weigh-in area, and he weighs in two-tenths of a pound over. And, again, should he have made weight between by 11 o'clock? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's preferred. But if you get two hours, you get two hours. Right. So I think he got a bum deal. I think he's getting a bum rap. I think that commissioner had a lunch date or somewhere that yeah. she needed to be, and I think it's fucking bullshit. He well, got a, these are, a huge deduction on his purse, and, and I, I think it's a crock of shit. Well, these are important details, and I'm glad yeah. to be hearing them, and I'm glad that you shared them. And obviously, maybe you can't recoup the money in certain things, but given that the fight was so close, I think these are important details to, to bring to Dana or Mick or whomever because in terms of Yoel's merits to run this back a third time with Robert Whitaker, I, you know, that might change things for some people. Yeah, I mean, I obviously voiced my concerns to everybody present, I talked to Dana about it, and I hope they, you know, Dana don't want to blow his reputation with the fan base, but he's actually a really good guy, and he always does right by the fighters right. that I've dealt with over the years. So I, I think they're going to treat him right and do the right thing going forward. But I just, I, I know how quick people are to judge guys or girls on the weight issue, and you know, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, you're dead right to do so. You're a professional. Do what you got to do. It's your job. What's especially I, what's especially crazy about that, Dan, is the fact that there was a, a, a commissioner who didn't even see Yoel Yoel and, and and see how good he he was feeling and all that stuff, and and still didn't even let him finish the weight cut. That's crazy. Her doctors were sitting by his bed laughing. Wow. 
There That's was terrible. no medical issues whatsoever. The doctors were there. I was standing next to them. That's so I mean, I mean, if you if you don't get your extra two hours because they deem you medically unfit to do that extra weight cut, <laughs> absolutely, right? That's their job to protect the safety of the fighter and protect themselves from any liability that comes from it. But right. this lady's ten floors down, sitting in the room by the scale, and she had somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. Well, what other reason is there? Sure, they didn't give us one. The doctor said it's not us. She's our boss. Sorry, guy, get the get the hell out of the bathtub. And that's Man. just, I mean, that that's bullshit. Yeah. Right. And of course, many other issues, lack of a 10, eight in either one of those rounds. And yeah, I mean, else. I could, I could, I could talk about that till I'm blue in the face. I mean, I, sure. I thought the fifth was a 10, eight, you know, I thought yep. the fourth was a close round, but I, you know, it is, it is what it is. You really can't control that. Like you said, the 49, 46 on the Colby fight, I thought I had Colby 48, 47, but you know, until, until you hear it, you don't know it. And then right, when I heard right. 49, 46, I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> At least yeah. if it went one way, that, that that's the way it would go. Yeah. So you never know about that. I'm not going to complain about that. It is what it is. But but the the, the weight cut, two tenths of a pound. I mean, he needed seven more minutes in a bathtub. You know, right. that's that just that, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, congrats on, on largely a big night all around, and hopefully everything is done right by Yoel Romero. And uh, again, we appreciate the time, man. Great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, there he is, American Top Team owner and founder Dan Lambert. Got to think we'll have him back on the show. Tremendous insight there about yeah. American Top Team and, of course, about everything that went down with Yoel Romero. Many of those details uh, I was not privy to until Dan's appearance here today on the Anakin Florian Podcast, which is brought to you in part by 4 Ken Flo, you may not want to hear this, but 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And the thing is, when you start to notice it, it's too late. Like, you got these great locks right now. Next thing you know, you're Jimmy Smith. You're shaving your head all the time, Flo. I mean, you got to take this seriously. Good news, though. There are options if you want to do something about it. I'm not talking about some of those weird solutions guys turn to. The solution is 4 a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. 4 combats baldness the right way. Medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss, all backed by science. You get connected with real doctors, but without the waiting rooms or shady doctor visits down a back alley. Go to 4 and take action today. You answer a few quick questions. The doctor will review it and get you a prescription. Jimmy Stewart, Brian Montgomery, Joseph Abood. Lyndon Byers, what are you waiting for? Order now. Our listeners get a trial month of four hymns for just $5 today. Right now, while supplies last, see website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to fourhymns.com slash Florian. That's fourhymns.com slash Florian. Fourhymns.com slash Florian. So as far as the Yoel Romero weight miss, Kenny, there's a big segment of people that just aren't going to move on this, right, when it comes to a fighter missing weight because this is something that happened six or eight weeks prior and in a championship fight, you know, come in at 184 and a hook as opposed to 185.8 or whatever, right? Make sure that you come in under and sort of try to get ahead of it and maybe you won't deal with that type of situation. But I'm going to table that for a second because right back to the guest line now and we're joined by a man who about 40 hours ago uh, nearly elbowed Alistair Overeem's head through the octagon floor in Chicago. He is UFC heavyweight contender Curtis Razor Blades. Curtis, good to have you, man. Appreciate your time today, sir. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show. Well, it's our pleasure, man. And once Ken Flo saw you elbowing Alistair Overeem like that, I mean, you guys are cut from the same cloth. He, he said, we got to get Curtis Razor Blades on the show. So 27 years old, man. 
And what you've done over the last year, year and a half is pretty incredible. I know when I sat down with you on Thursday, you, you weren't necessarily expectant that it could happen this quickly. Here you are, 27 years old, and all li- likelihood next for the UFC heavyweight title, man. Yeah, um, when I first when I first even put gloves on, I didn't think I'd actually realistically be in the UFC until maybe right about now. So I I definitely didn't think I'd be like fighting for the belt this one either. But I feel like I'm ready. I feel like in another four to five months after I heal up and we start getting back to hitting hitting mitts and sparring. I think I can add a lot more tools to my game. And uh, I'm always going to have my wrestling in my back pocket. And I, right. I, I honestly do feel like I'm the best wrestler in the division. And certainly one of the best wrestlers the UFC heavyweight division has ever seen. As far as this fight itself is concerned, you got back to your stool after round one and you said, I just wanted to bank that round. I don't know if you prioritized a finish in this fight. But that type of finish, that violence, that result, and how definitive it was, I think plays a big role in propelling you to the heavyweight title fight, whereas maybe a decision might not have. I mean, did you sort of emphasize going down the stretch, like, I, I got to get this guy out of there to leave no shadow of a doubt that I'm the number one guy? Yeah, that was um, the game plan. This wasn't something I t- talked about with my coaches. This is just something I always do. always want like to win the first round because it usually causes my opponent to like pick it up offensively, which opens up the hips a lot more. So that's all I like to do. I like to definitively get the first round so that way the second round is a lot more predictable. You've beaten two legends in, in mixed martial arts, uh, two in a row, one in Mark Hunt, one in Alistair Overeem. With you still be, being relatively new to the game, was there a part of you that was a, a little bit fearful heading into these fights against these guys that you grew up really watching? I mean, I wouldn't say fearful, but there was a lot of respect there because I've, I've seen their handiwork. I I know what they can do. I know how, I know how successful they've been doing it that's why they've they're still around at their they're older like mark hunt he's 40 so I'm like i'm not doing this in, until i'm that old i just i know i'm not that guy's a warrior yeah so yeah i got you gotta have a lot of respect for these guys um now for you you were flying under the radar until these fights now that you've really arrived and people know who you are it, it, do you feel more pressure or is this kind of uh, give you more confidence heading forward as you get closer to this belt? I think it's the latter. This is, I c- kind of relate this, um, like the pace and like the arc in my career. I kind of related to like uh, high school wrestling. Like my freshman, sophomore year, I was good, but I didn't realize how good I was. And then my junior year, it kind of like, it was a moment there was a wrestling match. I lost it, but how I lost it, it gave me the confidence. And once I got that, I walked on onto the mat with a lot more swag and opened up my offensive game. And I, I think that's what's kind of going to start happening with this. Uh, I I can feel it in my footwork. The more I watch the film from my past couple fights, 
even the New York fight mm-hmm. against Olenek, um, my footwork it it slows down other guys. They're not as aggressive. It just allows me to be the better athlete, which I usually am. Now, so. if you don't get that next title fight, um, is there another fight that you'd be willing to take? I would take Ngannou. Um, I'm not gonna lie; I'm expecting him to beat Derek Lewis. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I would if if I'm not gonna get the belt because that's the first option. Obviously, it's more money, more prestige, just a whole nother lifestyle. That's what I prefer. But if not, yeah, Ngannou, we definitely got to run that back. Yeah, that makes sense. UFC heavyweight contender Curtis Razorblades with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. I know you mentioned it was kind of annoying some of the details, fighting in Chicago tickets and everything else, but it certainly didn't affect your performance. Overall thoughts now that it's in the rearview mirror on fighting in Chicago and, and producing that type of result in your hometown. I mean, after after I've had, like you said, almost 40 hours to just relax and the stress is gone, I'm able to really, like, think about and absorb what just happened. I think it's amazing. Like, yeah. to get the finish against a guy of Alice Overing's uh, skill level and just the name, to do that in Chicago, the only thing that could have made it any better is if I was, like, the main event. That's the only the only way could I, I could have done that better. But other than that, I'm happy with it. I'm very, very happy with it. Well, I got an inkling that your next fight might just be a main event. We appreciate the time, man. Hopefully you can enjoy it. Congrats on the bonus and a huge win. And uh, we hope the heavyweight title is next for you. I would imagine you're probably rooting for Stipe, um, at least just in terms of how that would set up for you, right? Yeah. Uh, I just – it's not that I like the, the matchup better because they both, they both present their own problems, you know. Right. But I do feel like he just – I think he's gonna win. That's my gut feeling. I think he he handles the pressure. He's he's longer. He's a decent wrestler. I don't think he's the same caliber wrestler as DC because that would just be disrespectful to all those years as an Olympian. But right. I think he's good enough, and his hands are a little better. Plus, he mixes in the head kicks. And DC, we've already seen he's a little bit uh, the height. It's a problem makes the head yeah. kicks always an option. So right. I just think he's going to win. I don't know how. It could be a five-round war or he could just catch him early. I don't know, but I definitely expect it to be Stipe. And somehow, some way, man, you got to find a way to, to get your ass to Vegas on July 7th, man. I think it's important that you figure out a way to get in the building that night, all right? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely have to get on that. Talk to my manager. All right, man. Thank you very much for the time. Congrats again. Have a good day. Thank you, guys. You too. All right, there he is, Curtis Blades, with us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. I don't know exactly why Tyron Woodley wasn't in the building with us in Chicago to step in the octagon and square off with Colby Covington, but if you're Curtis Blades, right, you produce a result like that, Kenny, right? You were in that position when you fought Joe Stevenson. We referenced it a couple weeks ago. You're trying to set up a championship opportunity, and you choke the guy unconscious in the first round, right? You're trying to set up a title fight. A decision win over Alistair Overeem, who I think we'd all agree is not in his fighting prime, might not have been good enough. Yeah. I think this is good enough. And the reason why I say his rooting interest is for Stipe is because everybody else has fought Stipe. And if Daniel Cormier wins, all of a sudden maybe those two run it back, and, and that opens up a number of different possibilities. When you look at the division right now, I mean, Brock Lesnar's not coming back necessarily anytime soon. And 
he might be a guy who'd step right into a championship fight. But Curtis Blades is on the short list, and uh, I'm excited to see how far he can take it. As, since we're there, your thoughts on on that fight and, and what Curtis was able to do this weekend? Well, first of all, w- one of the most brutal br- uh, brutal finishes you will see. Um, yeah. th- those elbows were absolutely nasty. Um, I-, I thought there was probably two or three that snuck by uh, Dan Mergliata that probably should have been stopped a little earlier. Um, but my goodness, I mean, Overeem is a guy who has been there and done that. Um, he's very good everywhere. Uh, I thought Curtis Blades did a great job of being very disciplined and very patient because Overeem has the has the ability to kind of lull you to sleep a little bit. And he was trying to do that. It's similar uh, to what he did against Junior DeSantos where he does a whole lot of nothing and he's getting you to lose your patience and, and kind of uh, you know leap in with, with something that you shouldn't and then he catches you with a counter shot. Uh, Curtis Blades did a good job of being defensively responsible, staying patient, looking for that perfect opportunity to put Overeem on his back. He did that, was winning round after round, and then in the third round, with that killer instinct, got a finish. And that's exactly what you want to do. As you said, you want to not only win, but win impressively and win by a finish. He did that against one of the most experienced guys in combat sports, period. Yeah, and not just a stoppage win, but one that now sits across or atop, I should say, his highlight reel, right? I mean, that yeah. is the the highlight. You know, it wasn't it wasn't Francis Ngannou against Alistair Overeem necessarily, but for Curtis Blades' style, I mean, this was a near-perfect finish for him. And as you just heard, he's a soft, soft-spoken guy, but he's a thoughtful guy. Mm-hmm. He's a coachable guy, you know, not unlike his teammate Neil Magny. And he's also a guy who's been the betting favorite in every single one of his seven UFC fights. That includes being a minus-155 favorite against Francis Ngannou in his UFC debut. That is his only professional loss. So he's 10-1 and with a no contest. You know he wants that Ngannou fight back, but certainly the title fight is, is his priority. And we also said, too, and sort of just putting a bow on this Blades performance, I don't know if he had six takedowns in the fight, but if he did, he would become the most decorated takedown artist in UFC heavyweight history at 27 years old and he's just behind Kays Velasquez or just ahead of him but point being Kenny and I Mm -hmm. said this to him on Thursday the heavyweight division hasn't had a lot of wrestlers like this or at least in terms of their MMA application to wrestling who have been such a problem when it comes to their heavyweights you know Stipe hasn't faced a wrestler as good as Daniel Cormier right Curtis Blade's gonna be a problem for a lot of these guys man with his wrestling he moves very well. He knows how to set up his takedowns very well. He gets you to come forward, hits that reactive takedown, um, and he knows how to control you, more importantly, after he hits the takedown. It's one thing to take somebody down, but as we saw with Yoel Romero, he might be able to put you on your back, but he can't keep you there. That's been his big problem, in my opinion, uh, in his career, as good as Yoel Romero is, um, both as a wrestler and as a mixed martial arts fighter. But when you get a guy in Curtis Blades who not only can take you down, but he knows where to keep his head, to keep you down on your back, um, and to frustrate you, um, and to get you to waste energy, uh, Curtis Blades is right there with the elite. So uh, it was great to see him get that result because there is some fresh new blood in the heavyweight division now, uh, which is always exciting. And, and this is a guy who sure. might be holding that belt uh, in the near future. And I, as I mentioned, the only guy really at the top who hasn't had a shot at the current champion, uh, Stipe Miocic. I'm not going to revisit the weight stuff, Kenny, because we have too much to do. I do think it's interesting, based upon what we heard from Dan Lambert today, Mm -hmm. to see if the UFC will let Yoel Romero's next fight be at middleweight. And even then, maybe Gastelum's body of work would would trump Romero, who, again, does have the two head-to-head losses to to Robert Whitaker. But it's going to be interesting. Um, So Covington. 
I'm blown away by the performance. You know, big game player, as I mentioned. Here's what friend of the podcast Tyron Woodley had to say, thanks to MMAfighting.com for the transcription. I ain't never in my life, I ain't never in my career, I ain't never in my existence as an adult human being wanted to fuck somebody up so bad, beat somebody so bad, embarrass somebody so bad, end his career so bad, take his life so bad. And I don't even say that figuratively. Literally, I'm going to try to hurt him so fucking bad that they're never going to want to let me fight in the UFC again. That's a fact. So that's what Tyron Woodley had to say, Ken Mm. Flo. Uh, I know a lot to digest if you didn't read that before the show today. But that's why I wanted to see this fight. You know, we love when there are heat on these matchups. And I know Tyron Woodley at times has been reluctant to invoke Colby Covington's name. Now Colby's the guy. And as you can hear, that's raw emotion from T. Wood. Uh, It is. And again, these are guys with a history, right? Uh, These guys have trained with each other. They they do represent the same team over an American top team. Uh, They know the same people. Um, They've sparred before. So there's a lot of bad blood here, man. There's a lot of bad blood because, you know, again, Colby has had Tyron's uh, name in his mouth for a very long time. He's been talking a lot of trash. Um, And Tyron, in some ways, has been waiting for him uh, to to deserve that actual shot to fight him. Well, he now has that. And and Colby, you could say what you want about him, how he talks trash and blah, blah, blah. But um, he does back it up, man. I, I thought his performance against RDA was exactly, exactly what he needed to do to get the win. Um, and to me, that shows not only a toughness and, and a conditioning that is far superior to many UFC fighters, um, but it shows an intelligence. It shows an intelligence, Colby Covington, to go out there and execute a game plan safely. Yeah. Um, and we also have to say that, you know what? A part of this credit should go to his trash talking uh, because for RDA to not be able to get that angle, to not be able to move laterally um, like we've seen him do in the past, you got to think there was an emotional attachment there. Um, and, and that's where that pressure comes in. That's where all that trash talking comes in. You're down around uh, against a guy that you absolutely hate. And he told you that's exactly what he was going to do to you, and he did that in round one. I think that got to RDA a little bit. He started to get a little bit nervous, and round after round he got a little bit more nervous, which allowed Colby to be that much more successful. RDA was continually moving back, not only because of the pressure and the ability to cut off the cage like Colby was doing, but also I think because of that emotional attachment, he wasn't able to think as clearly as he he does uh, in, in most fights. Um, and you, you just got to give credit to Colby Covington, man. This guy is as tough as he says. Um, it was just a brilliant performance. And, and I had a 2-2. I had a 2-2 heading into the fifth round. Uh, and again, Colby uh, did exactly what he needed to do in that fifth round to, to get the victory and get that belt. And I didn't see the fight as closely as you did. I didn't score it, obviously, and maybe would go back and do that. But I, I thought Colby was, was ahead, and, and, and certainly our call reflected that. But what you say about Rafael Dos Anjos dovetails with what Jason Perillo said during mm-hmm. the fight and after the fight. You know, you remember after round one, he's trying to focus his fighter, yeah. you know, saying, stay focused, stay with me. Um, and, you know, I also will tell you in talking to Jason after the fact that in retrospect, they said maybe we should have mixed it up a little bit more. Right. Because when they did go to that takedown in round four, he success, Jason yeah. Perillo's request, he had success. So maybe the game plan to, to mix it up a little bit more. But the primary weapon of Dos Anjos, well. Among the primary weapons of Dos Anjos is that low leg kick, and that obviously was not a factor at all. And, and Colby Covington, to your point, deserves a lot of the credit for it. I'm excited to see this championship fight. I mean, obviously, you, you can tell and you can recognize that Tyron Woodley has some advantages on the feet. 
Um, and in terms of the power, certainly as a striking finisher. But I think it's a very competitive matchup, and I don't expect Woodley to be more than a two-to-one favorite. That's for sure. Yeah, and one thing, one thing is for sure is that you know Tyron being the more. Uh being more of a technical fighter, right? Um, he's a guy who likes to keep a certain pace where he can go out there and analyze and move around and be a little bit more comfortable. Um, Colby has a style that could really give anybody problems, including Tyron Woodley. I mean, no one wants to fight uh, that kind of pace. Uh, Colby will make you suffer. He's able to put a pace on you and get you to fight his fight extremely well. Um, and, yeah, you know, Tyron does have the wrestling to stop a lot of those takedowns, um, but it's still a pace that you, you just do not enjoy. There's no fighter out there that wants to fight that kind of fight against Colby Covington, and that's right. something he will always have in his back pocket. So for Tyron, he's going to have to be on point with his footwork. His wrestling will have to be perfect. Um, but, you know, does Tyron hit harder than Colby Covington? Absolutely. Is he the better striker? Yes. Well, so was RDA. Yeah, right. Well, wrestling wrestling baby yeah. we'll see i'm still for my money the best base for mixed martial arts and these guys covington and gregor gillespie and curtis blades taking over a couple other main card items and then we'll get you out of here flowing on to may rocky bjj when's that beginners class by the way uh we got, got the fun we got the fundamentals class at noon kid we're gonna get you over here we're, we're gonna put oh, you in class for me. <laughs> for me. What, what's a private with chem flow cost is the question no uh, <laughs> Uh, Mike Jackson, CM Punk, just final thoughts on this, and you yeah. can fast-forward the show a minute if you really want to. But in terms of Mike Jackson's performance, right, 30 to 26 times three. Mm. But when I sat down with Mike on Thursday, I sort of asked, what's the end game, right? You haven't had an MMA fight in two and a half years. I saw you uh, photographing an Axis TV show a couple weeks ago. Like, what are we trying to do here? This was a six-week training camp for this fight. You know, it's not like he's a guy who's in the gym year round. I do think he would have liked to have had another UFC fight later this year. Mm -hmm. But if that is indeed the goal and the goal isn't to be some glorified MMA media personality that had a couple fights in the UFC, then go out there and dust CM Punk. Right. And I, it's hard for me to take him at his word when it comes to his desire and urgency to get CM Punk out of there because I was five feet from him. Right. And I felt like at any given time, if he was hell-bent on getting Punk out of there, he would have. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think he said he was concerned about uh, getting tired in that fight, that he didn't want to gas out trying to finish him uh, and then allow CM Punk to come into the fight and, and, and maybe get the win or start to make it really competitive. Right. Um, and again, you know, to me, that that's uh, the approach of someone who is new to the game, which he is, right? And this is, this was a tough one. Um, again, if you're going to put guys in there that are 0-1, they don't have a whole lot of experience, it's not maybe even primarily what they've been doing for the last few years. It's You, you can't expect this incredible fight, right? There's very few uh, John Joneses out there. There's, there's very few Brock Lesners out there that with a very short amount of time, um, they can go out there and not only be successful and get the win, but also look spectacular in that process or look very difficult in that pro look very tough in that process. It's a very difficult thing, mixed martial arts, right? As we all know, there's so much to learn. Um, and and uh, going out there and expecting two guys that are 0-1 to put on this performance that we're all going to be excited about, it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I think this was a lesson for the UFC and, and, and for a lot of us who um, – you know, we're maybe expecting a little bit more in this fight. And, yep. 
this was tough. Again, this was not a technical fight by any means. I think Mike Jackson looked better. He was the guy that got the win, as he should have. Um, I would have liked to see him be more aggressive in this fight and try to get the finish. But again, he he's, he was 0-1 heading into that fight, you know? Right, right. Right, I had a better record. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, no, I just want to revisit that because I'm not tr- intending to come down hard on Mike Jackson and sort right. of as a human being – I, I feel for the guy a little bit, right, because I feel like all he would have had to do is sort of just one or two more strikes and maybe you sort of start building something a little bit because if the yeah. end game is to be this this media analyst, if you have three or four UFC fights of experience, it's a lot better than two. For you know? sure. So, um, all right, any final thoughts on the main card? Holly Holm with an outstanding performance against Megan Anderson. That's going to earn her a title fight either against Chris Cyborg or Amanda Nunes. I like the Nunes-Holly Holm fight because it hasn't happened. Uh, Ty Tuivasa. A big winner as well, um, a big loser after the fact because he's drinking everybody else's spit in shoes. Um, and if I if I never have to see another shoey, I'm okay with it. Maybe that'll I'll tell be our you, bet. dude. I'll tell see, you. Maybe that'll be our main event challenge bet. Little toe cheese with a little toe cheese with the beer. Yeah, oh. Delicious, delicious. Well, the thing is, Kent was such oh. a germaphobe that he would have had to agree to do a shoey before the main event challenge started. But see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spit in the shoe, right? Like right. Tai Tuivasa, if you Ugh. saw, there was a, a video of him doing another shoey in the lobby. He's passing the shoe around Dude. for multiple people to spit in it before he pours the beer in it. <laughs> Why? You know? Why? Why? I don't I'm know. just glad I didn't eat breakfast today. Uh, I would have thrown <laughs> up. I did not know that, that piece of information about the spitting. Uh, he's a tough guy. He's a maniac. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Got, got the win over a very tough Andre Arlovsky who seemed very motivated uh, in his hometown here in the States. So that, that was a good fight. Um, I want to talk about Holly Holm, man. Uh, uh, Holly do? Holm, I, I was really impressed, first of all, with this uh, tremendous martial artist who showed great evolution in this fight, who, who showed a, a completely different approach than, we have, than we've seen from her. Here's, here's a woman in Holly Holm who got choked out by Misha Tate, who a lot of people said, you know, listen, if you just take, take Holly Holm down, um, you know, you could expose her. Well, she ended up using her ground game in this fight against Megan Anderson. Uh, I thought her takedowns looked solid. Um, this is a, a woman who comes from a boxing background, a kickboxing background. Um, and she looked pretty solid with her takedowns, with her ability to control. Um, you know, did a great job of really neutering a much larger uh, Megan Anderson. Um, and uh, again, herb. Good herb. It, it was really nice, man. It was a nice performance from Holly, who again, still, and again, I'm not criticizing her. It's because I am a fan, and I think we still haven't seen the best of Holly. But she's still going into this these fights, you know, nervous and tight with a lot of pressure. It seems we still haven't seen everything that Holly can show out there. I truly I believe agree. that. I think she's that talented of a martial artist. Um, and and uh, it's 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 great to see her succeed out here in a completely different fashion, uh, using grappling skills. It just shows this is a very committed martial artist who is always humble uh, in, in defeat or in victory. And she would agree with everything you just said. Certainly, the latter half. She's so hungry still, right yeah. at 36 years old. Um, to, to regain her Bantamweight title and to maybe become a two-division champion. She still just has that MMA appetite, and I think part of that is because she transitioned to the game so late. So and, I think you're going to see Holly home for some time. Absolutely, man, and she does deserve that shot against Amanda Nunes. I think that's the fight that makes the most, most yeah. amount of sense. Holly has put herself in a situation where she's, the, she's one of the biggest names uh, at 145 or 135. So she's yeah. given herself some nice options in both of those divisions. 
Well, I got to say, on a night in which there were eight decision fights and four split decisions overall, that this was one of the more memorable night of fights we have had in some time. So congrats to everybody at UFC 225 and to Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero. I mean, fucking right. Classic. Oh, my God. Like, make me want to go home and fucking put it right on. All right. Before we get out of here, I am excited for this. Uh-oh. Just got to make sure what I do got this there, right buddy? reveal box. So last week we teased this, right? So Fox Sports is root for your roots campaign. How's that look? Be get, it up. get it up a little get bit. It get it up, up there. Kid. Root for your roots, right? There it root is. Root for your roots. 23 and me, Fox Sports, all right? So this is our root for your roots campaign. So Ken Flo and I took a 23andMe DNA test to determine our heritage and our roots, to find out what country we're connected with. Largely, though, because the United States of America will not be participating. So, Ken Flo, I mean, I root for the USA, Flo. Do you root for the U.S. when they are in the World Cup? Always, always. They're underdogs, right? right? With with respect to Peru, right, they're always big underdogs. So, since the Americans did not qualify... We're glad to be in the game now. So Ken is going to reveal his probably next week, but mine already came in the mail. So my genetic test. So Eastern European predominantly. I knew that. I, I, I always was told I was Lithuanian, okay? Mm-hmm. So I, I also was told I am Ashkenazi Jewish. I knew that as well. Uh, small part Western Asian and North African and broadly East Asian as well. But for the most part, Eastern European. So yeah. because the end result was that I have Eastern European roots and because my wife's entire family is from Poland and is Polish— Ladies and gentlemen, here we go, baby. It's Poland for me. Oh, going to be Poland for me. Forty to one right now. Okay, and we got we got Anik on the back. Oh, that's sick. I like that, dude. That's awesome. Sick, right? So my daughter was born August fifth. So we went Anik five. Go Poland, right? They give you a card to McDonald's, Ken Flo, as well, so you can get coffee to wake up early for the game. There we go. No French fries, so when you get your McDonald's <laughs> gift card, the coffee's outstanding. Um, some soccer chocolates in our reveal box as well. Yes. And then a Poland scarf kit, too. I like that. I mean, that. the official 2018 FIFA World Cup scarf with Poland on there. I mean, my wife's going to be jealous. So we're rooting for Poland. In terms of uh, nice, their dude. chances, I mentioned 40 to 1. So they got Robert. Lewandowski, Lewandowski, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He plays for Bayern Munich. He's an outstanding scorer, one of the better players in the World Cup. This is an offensive team, Poland, not much goaltending, but I'm with Poland 40-1. to As for my action, Ken Flo, I got a couple bets down already. I want to share this with you. So I bet on England at 6-1. to I like England to win it. I think there's some value there. I also put $8 on Peru. Oh. $8 bet, an $8 bet on Peru to win the World Cup. Any idea what that'll pay you? Uh, a G. Exactly. Right. Really? Really? On the nose. Yes. Plus, plus they're, they're 125 to 1. So an $8 bet on Peru pays $1,000. So we got 8 I bucks like on Peru. And some people actually give them a chance to get out of their group, right? So They might, yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, certainly speak, screams value to me. Right now, Brazil favored at 4 to 1, followed closely by Germany, Spain, and France. Mm. Biggest long shot, Saudi Arabia. A $1 bet on Saudi Arabia to win the 2018 FIFA World Cup pays $1,000. Wow. But I don't think Saudi Arabia is going to get it done. Actually, the biggest long shot, USA. <laughs> it's their, yeah, they're not, not going the to not not be able to pull it off. Yeah. But you can watch the 2018 FIFA World Cup on Fox and on FS1. It begins on June 14th. That is this Thursday. 
and next week Kenflo is going to reveal his box. And yes, I'd be absolutely stunned if there is not a Peru team jersey in there. <laughs> but maybe some suspense with, with the number and That's everything. Right. I, I'm a mutt, man, so I'm, I'm curious myself. I know I'm a mix of a lot of different things. So Right, yeah. he's got his results, no jersey yet. Yeah. Big reveal coming up for the flow next week. And, yeah. and thanks to Jody and everybody at Fox Sports for letting us participate. Can't wait to rock this Anik Poland jersey when I'm watching the World Cup. All right, final thought today, uh, Kenny. So the world lost the great Anthony Bourdain last week, and we just sort of wanted to shout him out on, on the way out. I saw him at a handful of live UFC events, but I never met the man. But he was an icon uh, for so many people through TV or travel or food or jiu-jitsu for our audience. He, he was a fixture in a lot of people's lives, impacted a ton of lives. Big UFC fan, obviously a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, Kenny, and competitor. I don't know if you ever met the man, but the MMA world certainly feeling this loss last week and, and this week, of course, I, as well. I met Anthony a, a few times, um, and he was such a, a lover of life, man. He, he was one of those guys who I really looked up to, just a, a brilliant man, uh, an amazing writer. Um, a, as far as his work on television, uh, this guy... Um, it was incredible what he was able to do and how many people tuned in to watch what Anthony Bourdain was going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony was one of those guys who was um, extremely humble, uh, as smart as they come, um, and a guy who really was inspiring the way that he approached life. And and um, it, it, this one hit me hard because I've met Tony a few times um, I, I knew his ex-wife as well, um, just good people. And, uh, my heart just broke for his family. Again, you know, um, suicide is one of those things that, uh, is really tough for, for families to deal with. And having dealt with, with that, it, it was, it was very hard to see that. Um, still 61 years old, young, um, with a family, it, it, it hit me hard, man. And, um, but, uh, you know, I think in these types of situations, you, you want to remember the life and, and all the amazing things that this guy did. And um, it, uh, I, I was really sad with that news because he was one of those guys who I really looked up to um, for a very long time, an amazing individual. I know, man. I know it shook you at your core. And I think that when you see a guy who seemingly has his dream job and has such a zest for life and seemingly loves his life and everything that he has worked so hard to put in it um, to then take their own life is just something that's hard to to relate to. So um, hopefully if you have similar emotions, you can get the proper help. But what an impact. uh, And we dedicate today's podcast to the late great anthony bourdain all right thank you to our guest today curtis blades great job by american top teams dan lambert of course ray longo off the top thanks to our fox sports crew the producers and those filling in john hill jeff williams Alyssa green uh and most importantly thanks everybody for listening this was a big show for us we were excited to do it and uh hopefully you enjoyed the content we will be back next monday until then for ken Flom, john anik yo later the john anik and kenny florian podcast Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. 
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.